Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, so today is very, very special for me because this is a person I've been wanting to interview for years, and I was too afraid to ask him, and he's going to laugh because he's going to say, I can't believe you're too afraid to ask because he and his wife are dear friends of ours, and I never wanted him to think that I was taking advantage of him (laughs) and his friendship to be able to interview him. But this is a dream come true. Alan, Dr. Alan Zimmerman, thank you so much for doing this interview today. Well, I'm I'm (laughs) glad to be here, but it does make me laugh because I didn't expect you to say that or think that. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that because you're one of the most humble people that I've ever met. And you and your wife have been so integral in our life for so many, many reasons. And we're so blessed to have both of you and actually met your wife on a mission trip. And so we got to spend time with her in Haiti. And she she changed my life in so many ways. She was the main nurse that was there. And so I was the nurse assistant, Her, uh, my daughter and I, and we learned so much from her. And even though I'm not a nurse, obviously, uh, but I learned a lot from her and what she does. And I just like truly, truly respect her and the woman that she is. And and uh, anyway, so I want to introduce Dr. Alan Zimmerman. Uh, he actually, his resume is unbelievable, but to kind of give you a little bit of a taste. So he has a doctorate in interpersonal communication and psychology. Listen to this. He's spoken to more than a million people in 48 states and 22 countries and maintaining a 92% repeat and referral business, which is unheard of. And what I love is that you are on the CPAE Speaker Hall of Fame and honor reserved for only a small handful of people in the last 30 years, including Ronald Reagan, Colin Powell, Ken Blanchard, and Zig Ziglar. Yes, you heard it right. So how did you ever make that happen? (laughs) Well, it's not something you make happen, but it is an honor bestowed (laughs) on you that... In the last 30 years, there's been a group of about 150 people considered some of the finest speakers in the world. And they meet, they nominate who they think should be or mm-hmm. welcomed into that group of distinguished speakers. And um, they got together some years ago and put my name in the basket and I was selected. So it was an unexpected and uh, very humbling honor. Unbelievable. Wow. So obviously you are doing something right in your speaking skills. And get this, some of his repeat clients is 3M, Boeing, IBM, Target, Tastefully Simple, AAA, Executive Women's International, a Mayo Clinic, Blue Cross Blue Shield. The list goes on and on. What I'm most interested about hearing right now is Target because my daughter and I are obsessed with Target and we have kind of a running joke. Like, what are you going in to buy at Target? 
And we, uh, my daughter said this once and I'm like, yeah, I guess that's me too. When we walk in, we're like, we just wait for Target to speak to us to tell us exactly what we're supposed to buy. (laughs) What is their, what's their secret? And uh, tell us what you've done for Target. Well, in the retail space, as you know, it's a very difficult market and more of the businesses are crashing than thriving. Yeah. They've been very good at carving out a niche of quality products at a decent price for a wide market. And it gives a sense of class that their competitors may have a similar product at a somewhat similar price, but it's not the fashionable, classy, clean experience. Experience is a key word. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that you feel good being there. I can be in other stores where I can find similar merchandise and feel like, oh, this is kind of grungy or dirty or disorganized. Don't feel that at Target. Yeah, I totally agree 1,000%. That's why we go in there versus any of the other stores, which we won't mention here on the call here. But I think a lot of people, in fact, you see people even post Target you know, on their Insta story messages, I've done it because we're just so proud, you know, to be in Target. Now we don't do that for other stores, but you're right, classy and clean. What have you taught uh, Target, uh, Alan, and and some of your trainings with um, A and B, what are you advising uh, places like Target now or companies now that after, I hate to even say the word after COVID hit, right? but our, our world has changed a bit. So I want to hear your perspective. It's changed a lot, obviously, but what's still critical is that they have great relationships amongst the people that work there. It's very hard to give great service to others if you don't feel served by your coworkers. And so it starts at home, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's a bigger challenge because more and more people don't want to go into the workplace. And it's harder to maintain a culture if you never see the people. If you only see them on a Zoom call, a virtual call of some sort, you can mm-hmm. pass information, but the emotional connection is not there. Yeah. And so we're trying to find a balance of, yes, it's nice, convenient, lovely to be at home, not travel. But you're also paying a price for that, some of the culture you've worked hard to build. And so what can be an appropriate balance of freedom at home, but also enough time together to maintain that closeness of camaraderie of caring? That's just it, right? And I love that you said that so much because I keep reading articles, especially I love Inc. Magazine about this and just keep getting different perspectives, right, on the hybrid work environment as well. And and I agree with you. There's nothing that beats being in person versus being on Zoom. And although I've kind of shifted my work more on Zoom with what I do with most of the people just for the convenience of it, like you said, it's just nothing beats face to face. I just spoke to my uh, schools last week and and did you know a little uh, Tina's message for them, and it was just so fun you know to be around them. And so, what would you say right now that uh, you talked about culture, which I love? What would you say right now that uh, you're working with with businesses that they need to shift with their culture right now to make sure it's maintained? Well, it's that key balance I mentioned a moment ago of I'm not sure we're going to get the workforce entitled to come back to the job. 
-hmm. People have changed. The generations are changing. And a lot of folks would love to never come back into a work site again. It's cheap. It's easy. It's convenient. Mm -hmm. All of those great benefits. And once you've tasted that, it's hard to give that up. Yeah, it is. But you also have to be realistic enough to realize you're paying a price for that. And the price is teamwork to some extent, emotional connection, caring, uh, those kinds of things that make work worthwhile, that all of us crave a sense of purpose. And purpose means I make a difference somewhere. And that's more than just punching numbers into a computer, passing some paper along. That's a job. But purpose means I make a difference in people's lives. And that's a lot harder to do in a virtual world than it is a real world. And if you want a sense of purpose, a sense of connection, you're going to have to spend some time with people. I don't see any way around it. Yeah, you have to. You got to make the shift. And and I love that you talked about purpose because that's basically one of your three secrets for getting what you want in life. And you wrote a book called The Payoff Principle. And oh my goodness, actually, you guys should just pause this right now and buy the book on Audible. And it's called The Payoff Principle by Alan Zimmerman. And I'm 30 minutes away from finishing this book. I have been binge listening to it, Alan, for the past couple days, and I cannot put it down. I'm like walking around the house. My husband's like, what are you listening to? (laughs) And I'm like, I got to listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) it's so good. And I told him, I said, you have to listen to this when I'm done because it's so, so good. You know what I love about it, Alan, is that you have a bunch of different voices on the audible. So you're not just hearing one voice, you're hearing different voices. So it makes it really fun to listen to. It's almost like listening to a TV show, so to speak, and hearing it. And then I'm like running to my paper and and making notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So my listeners can hear some of this first and foremost, but tell us how this book came about and how you finally were able to release it. And what has it done for you with your business that you have? Yeah, I spent most of my life speaking to audiences live. Like you said, 3,000 programs around the world. And people love it. That's why I get hired over and over again. Uh, They say it changed their lives. They feel good. They feel great. They go out walking high. But we forget things. The highs that we have in a program disappear. Normal life comes into play. And so putting some of those thoughts into words, hopefully an impactful, powerful way, So they can get it repeated because the best way that learning takes place is called spaced repetition. You don't just hear a message once. You hear it again and again, but putting spaces between that. If you only hear a message once, it tends to disappear. But spaced repetition is a way that it clings to you, sticks to you, you absorb it, and you start living it. And so that was part of it. I'm motivated to make sure that what I had learned, what I've been blessed with, some knowledge, some insight, some experience – that people can learn from that, presented in a way that I'm glad you said it. Fun to hear, fun to read, mm-hmm. and practical. And that's always been my philosophy. When I was a professor, when I'm a speaker, I want to take the stuff that could be esoteric, academic, uh, dry, and make it fun, simple, practical. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's very fun, simple, and practical. You and you know what you I love about it. You weave a lot of stories within it, and you tell a lot of stories about famous people that I didn't even know about. Like you were talking about Florence Night Nightingale, 
And so I'm going to leave that up for chance for you guys, because you have to listen to the book and hear exactly what I'm talking about. And what would you say was the most, is the most uh, impactful part of that book that people continue to come back to you on that they keep sharing with you? The book talks about three P's, purpose, passion, and process. I tell people, if you get those three down, you're going to be successful, you're going to be happy. And probably the one that gets the most response is is the passion part. Mm -hmm. That uh, some people, not as many as I'd like, have a sense of purpose, like, well, I want to do something worthwhile, but most have a lot of work to figure that out. People understand the second part, passion. Yeah, it's important to have a good attitude. Everybody knows that. That's old news. You should have a good attitude. Mama said that. Daddy said that. Teachers said that. Teachers along the way got to think positive. Well, that's nice, but it's not helpful. The question is, how do you get one and keep one that's positive? Mm-hmm. And uh, I got so frustrated with so many books and so many speakers where they preach the same thing. Think positive, be positive. Well, fine. Show me how to do it because the world is tough. It's negative. In fact, I would challenge anybody to listen to any news broadcast on any network. I don't care if it's left or right winged and come away without being angry, depressed or sad or scared. Yeah. All the above. All the above. Right. Yeah. So when people say to me, ah, I'm just the way I am. I've always been that way. I can't help it. Just the way I feel, which is a big fat lie. Mm-hmm. People can change their attitude. They're changeable. They're controllable. The problem is people don't know how. And so that's what inspired that section of the book. Here's how you do it. Four, five, six, seven, eight, ten skills you can practice right now. Start adopting. So you become truly more positive. Doesn't mean naive, Pollyannish, unrealistic but more empowered, positive. Yeah, that's so good. I love it. That was actually the part of the book that really stuck out to me. I took a bunch of notes because I actually, I train salon owners and salon leaders. And one of the things is fixing your attitude. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to make sure that I have our salon leaders read this book when we're doing this coaching because you give such practical tips. And my favorite practical tip was, can you go 24 hours without saying something negative or, you know, um, criticizing, right, for 24 hours. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I, I need to try this on, right? Even though I think of myself as a real positive person, can I do this 24 hours? And so, uh, first of all, where did you get that idea from and give advice to people how to get through that 24 hours? <laughs> yeah. A question I'll often ask people is, if I'm coaching somebody or I'm speaking to an audience, if you can't go 24 hours with an alcoholic drink, you're addicted to alcohol. Yeah. You can't go 24 hours without a cigarette. You're addicted to nicotine. And the same thing is true. If you can't go 24 hours without complaining about something, griping about something, you're addicted to the negative. And the research says 85% are addicted to the negative. Uh, wow. 85%. Dr. David Reisman, he's a psychiatrist, wrote a book called The Lonely Crowd. And found out that 85% of people are programmed negatively. And people say, well, how do you know that? Was you, are, are you programmed negatively, positively? I was on uh, CBS morning show a while ago and they interviewed me and the interviewer asked that question. 
And I said, it's real simple. The way you find out how you're programmed is look at your first reaction to any bit of news you get. For example, if you go to your office and there's a note from the boss that says, see me immediately. What is your first reaction? Your first reaction is, well, great, the raise is coming early this year. <laughs> You're programmed positively. Mm-hmm. 85% expect bad news. What did I do wrong this time? Well, what kind of trouble am I in? 85% expect negative. If your kid comes back from school with a note from the teacher that says, I suggest a conference as soon as possible, what's your first reaction? What did you do wrong this time? And so 85% are programmed that way. 15% are programmed or can become programmed positively. Mm-hmm. I call it being an actor versus a reactor. And the way you start moving towards becoming that 15% more positive, it's the old slogan, you know it well, you act as if. Yeah. Uh, Dr. William James came up with that phrase, and he's the father of American psychology. If you went to Harvard, you'd see the James Building of Psychology there. It's named after him. He spent his whole lifetime researching what brings out the best in people. End of his life, he wrote this sentence. That the greatest discovery of the 20th century is the fact you can have any quality you want in your personality if you just act as if you have it. Mm. For example, want to be more patient? Can't go around saying, well, I'm not patient. Mom had a temper. Dad had a temper. Runs in the family. Just raise it that way. That's a cop-out. If you force yourself to act patiently, even if your guts are churning inside, eventually you'll feel patient and be patient. And the same principle applies to being positive. If you will act positively, act enthusiastically, doesn't matter if you feel like it. If you'll act that way, you'll begin to feel that way and become that way. Yeah. 100%. I love that. And, you know, that was probably the best lesson my dad ever gave me was just, Tina, just put a smile on your face, whether you want to believe it or not, that you are smiley at that moment. And it's, it's so true. And a lot of people will say to me, they're like, you always seem so happy. I'm like, you know, honestly, it's just that habit that I've had my whole life because my dad (laughs) would tell me, put a smile on your face. And it's so true. Like, there's no way you can be in a bad mood if you have a smile on your face. There's just no way it makes you more positive. This is really powerful. I think I'm going to call this be a champion. And the reason why I say that is because of the three things that you talk about, the purpose, you know, the the passion, and you also add in a little bit of persistence in that chapter too, which I thought is awesome, and then process. And so and being a champion in your life, and that's, you know, I think it's all of our goal. And I, I want to touch on something because you hit something really big in your book, especially, and I know you talk about this quite a bit, is, you know, people will ask, you always say, what do you really, really want? I was just asking a client this yesterday. Um, what do you really, really want? And I got the idea, of course, from your book. And so he he says to me, he's like, I just want to be happy. <laughs> and so talk about that, the fallacy of being happy. And, and I like when you when you added the question, and I did the same thing yesterday, is, okay, well, what specifically is going to make you happy? We need to write those things down. So that's what you really want. Talk more about that. How do you coach people through that? Yeah, kind of the impetus behind this book and a lot of my coaching work, I interviewed, surveyed about 100,000 people asking, what do you want out of life? 
And the top two answers, number one was, what do you want out of life? People say, well, I just want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine and dandy, but what is it? If you can't define it, you can't get it. And most people have not gone beyond saying the word, I just want to be happy. No thought behind that, what that means. Mm-mm. And the second answer is, I want to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, again, that's a good answer, but what does success mean to you? If you can't define it, you can't get it. Yeah, it, that's it. That's totally it. And and so I love that you said that because, um, and also in your book, you're very, uh, very good on this and that uh, something about being successful. And so my book is called Be Amazing. And that's the seven, you know, habits of being successful. And what does that look like? And so kind of really drilling down. And so it's more of a workshop type of book, which is similar to yours where you ask some incredible questions. And so I want to switch gears here because there were some things that you shared in here that I think are really, really amazing. And so as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and also coaching a lot of leaders, um, we talk a lot about fixing your communication and what does that look like? And you gave some really, really, really great ideas inside of your book as well. And so I kind of want to talk about that. But there was a couple of things that you said, and one of them was, and I had never heard this before, that a person needs four praises basically to one reprimand, so to speak, or a redirection, so to speak. And so talk about that because I get that from a lot of our team members that they're really frustrated with their leaders because they feel that they don't get any recognition. <laughs> I do that all the time with the organization or people I've been teaching, speaking, coaching. Yes, you do employee surveys, not enough recognition. Comes up over and over again in all the surveys. Yes. And the bosses don't get it. They think they're getting plenty of recognition. That may or may not be true. But the point is the employees don't feel like they're getting enough. So we did some research on that and uh, actually tracked this. How many positive comments a boss might give to an employee? And if the boss gave four or fewer positive comments, the employee tends to think that that boss is negative. They don't appreciate me. You hear the comment, I can do a hundred things right and not hear a darn thing about it. Do one thing wrong, they're right in your back. Mm-hmm. It takes five, six, seven positives to outweigh one negative. Wow. If you're giving a negative comment, like, I think you could improve this. Uh, you might handle this customer a bit differently. And you're giving one piece of constructive negative feedback, call it whatever you will. That sticks so heavily in someone's mind. It'll take four, five, six, seven positives to overcome that before they think they're a positive leader. How do you do that as a leader? So let's say um, they're struggling with a team member, okay? And I kind of know, I think I know where the answer is going to go here, but I want to hear it from you. I, I want leaders to hear that. So how do you actually do that? Because they might say, well, they're not doing anything right. So <laughs> how do I find something positive with it? I'm like, really? They're not doing anything right? Anything? <laughs> well, if they're not doing anything right, you need to ask yourself, why are they even on the team? Exactly. <laughs> if you're the boss. Right. Yeah, that's a big issue that you don't put up with incompetence forever. If a person's not able to change, unwilling to change, they don't belong on the team. Exactly. And when should they find that out? And so 
talk to that leader right now in a company uh, because I, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges that I see is that there's in the first 90 days, there's not enough communication. There's not enough clarifying expectations. There's not enough clarity. Um, I loved your idea of the six pack, which you could talk about that as well too, because I think that gives a lot of clarity too. And I'm going to totally steal that in my one-on-ones with my leader. So they'll get to hear this as well too. So what, what is your thoughts on that? Like, uh, how, like, how often do you see that the problem started in the beginning and it was unaddressed and it just continued on for a long time? Yeah. In the beginning, I think it's important that the boss meet with a new employee frequently. It may be five minutes a day. It may be just yeah. 10 minutes every two days. I check in. How are things going? What are two things you feel good about? What have you done right? If you could do it over again, what would you change? What would you improve? Uh, three questions I often ask leaders to ask their people. When they get together for that five-minute meeting, weekly meeting, whatever time schedule they have, first question is, when you look at the last two days or last week, whatever that time frame is, what have you done that you feel good about? So they get a chance to pat themselves on the back, and they're out looking at their own behavior. Secondly, if you were to do it over again, what changes would you make? So they begin to appraise themselves. And they will accept their own feedback of their own ways to improve more than they will the bosses. People don't argue with their own data. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. People don't argue with your own data. That's so good. Now, if you have an employee that is naive enough to think, well, I wouldn't change anything. I did perfectly. I would gently say, well, <laughs> jokingly, that's a little hard to accept because I think everybody can improve everything. Mm-hmm. So, so what did you like about what you did? If you could do it over, what would you do differently? And thirdly, what help do you need from me? Well, that's good. Because we as bosses are guessing, do they need praise? Do they need guidance? Do they need training? They, what do they need? And sometimes we guess wrong. Why not ask them, what help do you need from me? Well, it sure help, the person might say, if you give me a little more praise. It sure help if you would meet with me more frequently. It would help if, why guess when you can ask the employee for the answer? Yeah. That's so good. And I agree 1000% with you, Alan, on this, especially with the fact that allow people to appraise themselves. In fact, many years ago, we switched our annual evaluations where we don't fill them out as leaders. We have them fill it out. And so that made a big shift in our company culture of to be more on the positive praise, but we still have work to do. And I love these three questions. And and the fact that you set a check-in every day for five minutes, that's huge. And so the questions weren't like intimidating at all. Like they're just really just to be there to support because I think part of the lack of communication and the lack of not feeling, um, you know, praised, so to speak, is really just coming from lack of clarity in their position. And so talk about that because what if, what if you have a leader and I'm sure you've heard this and I do too. They're like, well, Tina, I don't have any time to do this five minute check in. <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> five minutes? <laughs> well, I'll tell people you either take the time now up front or a lot more time later on fixing the problem. Absolutely. You got a choice. You can take five minutes now, no matter how busy you are, prevent problems, train correctly or spend a heck of a lot of time later on cleaning up a mess. Yeah. 
And I would, I would fathom to guess that this is part of the mastering the process part, yeah. right? Of being a champion, of being a, cha- be a champion leader, right? And so talk a little bit more about communication because, um, I love this, um, what you, you gave some really great ideas on communication, but I would love to kind of hear how are you coaching leaders right now, especially with Zoom happening to be good at communicating? I made a comment a moment ago that the number one job complaint I hear is you could do a hundred things right, not hear a darn thing about it. Do one thing wrong, they're right in your back. And that complaint has not changed one bit in my 20 plus years of coaching, speaking to people. Same complaint, number one. So that tells me that people probably know that's an issue, the bosses included, but there's a gap between knowing we should be giving more praise and actually doing it. And so the gap comes in from a couple of things. One, you mentioned the bosses may say, well, I'm just too busy. That's certainly true. Others will use the excuse, well, you'll know everything's okay unless I tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. Well, employees never interpret silence as positive feedback. Mm. That's a stupid approach. Everything's okay unless I say otherwise. Mm Because every place else in your life, when you get the silent treatment, that's a negative. If your husband doesn't speak to you, your kids won't speak to you, your friends won't speak to you, that's a negative. Mm-hmm. So how come the boss can get away with thinking, if I don't say anything, that's a positive? It's ludicrous. And so to teach my executives, my coaching clients, bosses to be more effective in giving praise, I give them some methods to hold themselves accountable because they know they should do it, but there's a gap between knowing and doing. One simple technique I call the five-coin technique. I say, put in your left pocket five coins. And your goal during the next workday is give out five genuine pieces of positive feedback. Look for people doing something right. When you give that positive comment, move the coin, coin from the left pocket to the right pocket. At the end of the day, if you've moved all five coins, you're walking your talk. You're not a hypocrite. You're doing what you say is important. You're following through. You're holding yourself accountable. And uh, they they feel the coins there. They can see what happens at the end of the day. Whether you use five coins, ten coins, I've had so many people say that's changed their life. It's held them accountable, created a new habit. So good. I love it. And what a great technique to use with all of your staff. Too, because I have, um, so talk to this person right now, cause I've, I've had employees say this over the years, you know, um, I'm just so frustrated with the rest of the staff because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so I'm just going to stay in my lane and I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to worry about myself. <laughs> so talk to them right now too, because I, when I spoke last week, as I was mentioning to my three schools, I said, how about if we build that culture of praising? Like, let's look for what's working instead of always looking for what's not working and just constantly, you know, look that way. But I, I like the idea of building a method. I love the coin technique. It's awesome. But talk to those employees right now who are frustrated with their teammates, so to speak. Well, certainly there's the typical option of speaking to the boss, trying to get interventions. If you've got enough of a relationship and you're bold enough to speak to the colleague, mm-hmm. it may be as simple as talking to colleague A that uh, I want us to have the best possible working relationship. You know, what are, what are we doing well? How can we make this even better? So it's over a cup of coffee, non-threatening, 
Watch the response. If they get all defensive, pull in non-verbally, you back off. But if they say, well, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess we could talk about that. How can I have the best? Well, I would sure, it would, and then ask questions like this. It would sure help me if you did A, B, and C. Well, I, I could do that, or it would help me if you tried X, Y, Z. So to have some of those conversations, so it's not confronting as to what they're doing wrong, as what can we do to make things even better. I love that you said about if you have, if you have enough of a relationship. Right. So let's back up to that because that's the, the area I feel most people skip. I missed it for many, many years. And then of course became a John Maxwell coach, a certified John Maxwell coach, and then read his five levels of leadership. Well, level two is relationship. And so I was like, I was going right from title to like, let's, let's build profit centers. (laughs) And I was like forgetting that whole process. And I see my team members doing that. And I I said, you know, you need to build a relationship. And you said, go get a cup of coffee with them, have lunch with them. Right. And so get to know them on a different level, be super curious about them, get to know them. What advice do you give as far as leaders building relationships with their team members? What do you think that should look like? We always call it solid, appropriate relationships. I recommend a technique called Brave Questions. I wrote another book with that title. And most of us operate on what I call a functional level of communication. It could be turning to our spouse. What time is dinner? What time are the kids coming home? When's that soccer game? Maybe talking to a colleague. Uh, when's that shipment due? Uh, when's so-and-so calling in? And you got to know those things to function, but they don't build relationships. For that, you need brave questions, which are questions you ask less often. They're brave because you don't know what their answer is going to be. They're more personal, but they also show an interest in, I want to know you as a person, not just the job you perform. So a brave question, maybe you're having a staff meeting, uh, team leader and his or her team. You have an agenda, what you're going to go through. I often push people, take the first five minutes and go around the, the circle with a brave question. Hmm. Maybe uh, this time of the year. Each person take 30 seconds. Everybody has the right to pass. But if you're willing, and I encourage you to share. Each person take 30 seconds, a minute. What was a really cool memory you have of Christmas? What did you go through in your family? It might be a question about um, what's one goal you have in the next 10 years? Have a dream, a fantasy you'd like to see. Oh, I want to travel to so-and-so. I want to do such and such. And I find people love that because all of a sudden they're learning things. They didn't know any of this about colleagues they've worked with for six months or six years. Yeah. And those things build relationships. Relationships have power because that's what's going to move you forward. Relationships have power. Love the brave question book. Um, we have to take a, a pause here, a commercial pause, because we need to know how to get a hold of all of your books. So what's the best way to purchase your books and to also purchase coaching with you or classes. I know you put on a lot of workshops, which are amazing. You know, what do you, what do you offer to the public right now? What are you offering? I do three things. Uh, I do live presentations when people ask me to come in and speak to their organization, do virtual classes. They may be five weeks in length, meeting once a week for 90 minutes. 
I do one-on-one coaching with various people. So those three particular approaches. Uh, you can go to my website, which is just drzimmerman.com, drzimmerman.com. You'll find over a thousand articles I've written there. They're all free of charge. Put in the keywords you want, and you'll find what I've written on difficult people or conflict resolution or relationship building or trust or whatever it is. You'll find lots of material there. I have a weekly newsletter, Dr. Zimmerman's Tuesday Tip. We've got about 100,000 subscribers. I've never missed an issue of every single Tuesday for 20-plus years. So if you want a free subscription, the website shows you how to sign up for that. And the books you'll find on my website or Amazon.com. Love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is so amazing. And yes, the Tuesday tips are awesome. You definitely have to sign up for that and it's free and the information is incredible. And that's what actually tipped me off actually of like, you have got to be brave here. So brave questions (laughs) and you need to email Alan and ask if he'll do this interview. And so this is just so, so good. Thank you for this. In fact, I I love the fact that you have that book out because we are um, our empowered salon leader coaching group. We're actually putting on our next masterclass is actually going to be on good leaders ask great questions. So I have to include your book into that because it's so true of just asking those brave questions of just going a little bit deeper. And I, I love that you talk about that encouraging more depth in order to, you know, create relationships as well too. And so as we start to end this out, which I'm super sad about, of course, <laughs> uh, being a champion, what else would you recommend and give advice for, especially now in our day that we're in, right? 2022, we're heading into 2023, of course. What else would you recommend it to be a champion? You've got to be a risk taker. We all have comfort zones. Everybody knows the terminology. I've got a risk or a comfort zone. You've got one. And I often draw it as a circle. And inside your circle Maybe a person, they sit in the same place every time you have a meeting at work. They sit in the same pew in church. The same people participate in the meeting. The same ones don't say a word. The same ones gossip in the hallway after the meeting behind your back. The same ones have the same hobbies, same friends, same activities, same policies, same procedures. You live your whole life in the comfort zone. After a while, it feels blah. Blah turns to boring. Boring turns to rut. And rut turns to routine, and routine means you make no progress. It's okay to have a comfort zone, to relax, to revive, to chill out there. But if you want more of anything in your life, you want a better marriage, you want more money in your pocket, you want better health, anything you want more of, always, always, always requires leaving your comfort zone. You can't stay in the comfort zone doing the same thing and expect better results. And so... Learn how to be a constructive risk taker. I think it's critical. And I go in the book explaining some of the questions you ask yourself to make sure this is going to be a constructive risk that works out on your behalf. So good. Constructive risk taker. And I'm all about that. In fact, I I drive my husband crazy with that. So he's probably going to say, Tina, don't listen to Alan on this one. Right. Because I'm like this crazy woman. I'll I'll never I'm like you. I'll never retire. Like, why would I retire from my calling? Because everything that I'm doing is my calling. And so we joke about this, that I'll be doing, you know, podcast interviews. I'll be doing master classes in the nursing home someday because I ain't quitting. Right. So. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so I love that fact, you know, in order to be a champion, first and foremost, you know, you got to read this book, Payoff Principle, because finding your purpose, right? Finding uh, what you're anointed to do, what your calling is as well, too. And so as we end this out, what have you been wanting to tell um, your listeners for a long time that maybe you haven't said enough lately or something new that you've been wanting to tell people in the world? Wow, that's interesting. Good question. I think people live lives that are much smaller than they could be. There's so much more they could accomplish, so much joy that's deeper that they could experience, so much more meaning that would put richness in their life that they never even thought about. Too many people live on a another day, another dollar mentality. People say, well, just four more years, five months and two days, and I'm out of this place. Mm -hmm. I would want to tell people that there's so much more than they might possibly imagine that's really available, whether it's in purpose, meaning, relationships, happiness, joy, success. You're bigger and better than you think you are. Yeah. And what's the best way to do that? Of course, you have to get a hold of Alan and get a part of some of his programs that he offers you. And obviously you're listening to this podcast for a reason. And because, you know, most people probably listening to this know that because that's why they're listening to the podcast. So send this to somebody that needs to hear this message. <laughs> Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your spouse. Who knows? Right. And so I love that. What would you say? You know, as as you end this out, um, what would be your last words um, of encouragement or advice be as we end out this Be Amazing podcast? And thank you again so much for doing this. And and tell Chris, we got to get her on next, your wife, because okay. she's unbelievable. <laughs> I love her. Well, you made a good comment that probably most of the folks who are listening to this are on board with what we're saying. They believe these things. They're applying these things, hopefully, pick up a few new ideas that they can also add to the repertoire. But we're living in a very difficult world that's not getting any easier. Uh, more difficult, more divided, more negative in so many ways. And it's easy for, even for people like myself, yourself, our listeners who have got a lot of this mastered to get occasionally down, to get challenged. And there are days when I'm speaking to an audience or coaching somebody I'm saying, Alan, you need to hear this too. I'm talking to myself <laughs> as well as the other people. And so I would suggest uh, we're in process. Don't ever get to the point of thinking, I've got this mastered and nothing can ever bring me down. Life is tough. It's going to always have some challenges. Being a positive person doesn't make you immune from difficulty. It gives you power to get through the difficulty. And so don't forget to keep applying these things to yourself. Yeah. So, so good. Thank you, Dr. Alan Zimmerman, for being on the podcast today. Take care. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Tina. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.